they were able to gain all of their worldly dreams? What if they all came true? What if they had more money than they could ever spend? What if they had servants and employees that catered to their every need? And what if they had access to every form of pleasure and indulgence? So then would they have found the ultimate purpose for life? They'd made it. You know, there's a man in the Bible, his name is Solomon, who was just like that. He was wealthy beyond an equal and wise. He had it all. And so here's what he wrote about it. It's in Ecclesiastes, the second chapter. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. And I also possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. And then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. So thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity, striving after wind. And there was no profit under the sun. Sounds kind of familiar in our world today, doesn't it? Just look at, uh, well, let's just look at wealthy movie stars. Now, there's a group of happy people. Uh, why, why do, what do famous movie stars crave more than anything else? They crave attention. And they're never satisfied. They're never completely filled as much as they complain about the paparazzi, can you imagine one of them waking up one morning and the paparazzi were all gone? And they went to the grocery store and nobody noticed them? What would they do? Well, I'm not sure what they do, but I bet it would be something to get attention. Now, what about politicians? They're a happy group, aren't they? I mean, they have all the power. So what do people with power crave more than anything else? <laughs> more power. 
So decisions that they make not, are not made with the, what's best for those that are their constituents, but what will bring more power and widen their political influence. Oh, but lottery winners. Now there's a happy group. You know, if reality shows us that people with power and money and fame seem to be seem to be the most unhappy, messed up people in our culture, why are so many chasing after these very things? Just a brief look at the world should show us that purpose, the meaning of life, isn't what our society would lead us to believe. So where is it? Where is it? Over the next six weeks, my invitation to you is to join me on a search for what is true. Do you want to know the truth? Do you want to know the truth? You see, when it comes to real purpose and meaning in life, is there a truth that we can discover that gives us an answer to this age-old question, what is the meaning of life? And the only way we can find it is if we are truly interested in what is true. So many people today really just are not interested in truth. They have traded truth for opinion, especially when it comes to these most important questions about life. And I would contend that when it comes to spiritual things, this is especially so. Gnosticism or or the belief that truth about God and other things is really something you cannot know. It's unknowable. It's the popular belief of the day. And uh, because we've said spiritual things are truly not knowable, well, opinions now are the rule of the day. And so we set out before people this variety, this buffet, if you will, of spiritual belief systems. And then we ask them to choose one. Over here, we have the New Age with this special connection to the mystical where you can find your future by reading horoscopes or looking into crystal balls or through a disconnection with reality through transcendental meditation. Another choice is the structure of this religious uh, rigid system that seems to produce better behavior. Uh, Systems like Islam that uh, just guide your every uh, behavior and... uh, get you to straighten up and threaten you with mistakes. After all, don't we all need discipline? Another option is just to throw it all out. Let's believe in humanity. It's appealing to believe that us as humans, we can work out all of our problems. We can create a a, a world that is living in great harmony and love. And I just want all the nations... And races and societies to just love one another. And so you've decided, maybe that's your purpose. I'm just going to give my life to bringing the world together in one big happy family. And so what about Christianity? Well, here's what people are getting in the culture. And here may be a response that somebody in the culture would give. Maybe somebody on the man on the street interview. Well, I don't particularly like what I've heard about Christianity. I've heard that it says that it has the only truth, and I just don't really like that. 
Not only that, I've heard that it believes in a God who randomly killed people all throughout the Old Testament. I don't like that. I also heard that the people who follow Christ believe in the words from the Bible, and you know, I've, I've come to know that it, the Bible was just written by a bunch of people giving their opinions about things. Oh, and this is the worst. I've heard that it believes that God is actually going to send people to hell. I don't want to believe in a God that would do that. I want to believe in a God of love, not of hate. I, I just don't like what I hear about Christianity. Did I just give you an adequate uh, description of how so many people in our culture today see this faith? And when given these choices and the characterization of Christianity that way, who are they going to choose? What are they going to choose? Well, they're kind of confused, to be honest. Let me give you a reality check. Here's reality. Let's say it's like this. You're in the middle of an ocean and you're drowning. And I want you to know that if I was in the middle of an ocean, I would be drowning. <laughs> if I was in the middle of a swimming pool, I would be drowning. Unless someone helps you, you are going to die. A boat pulls up, uh, and on the side of the boat, overhanging uh, on the side, are seven or eight life preservers. And a boat, uh, they all, in some ways, they all look the same because they all have a round, they're all round with a hole in the middle. And But as you take a closer look, you notice that all but one are actually made of lead. Now, it's different kinds of lead, and they're all painted in different ways to look different from each other, but they're all basically the same, made out of lead material. You quickly, you quickly realize that asking them to throw you one of those is going to mean what? <laughs> Certain death. I'm sinking to the bottom of the ocean floor with those. But you notice there's one that is full of air and buoyancy. You can tell that only this one is actually going to save me. When I examine the truth about these life preservers, I realize that only one is going to lead to life. All the others are going to bring instant death. Which one would you choose? Hmm. Hard choice, isn't it? Let me ask you, would you choose one based upon your personal opinion of which one looks the best? The world today wants you to believe that all belief systems are the same. Just find one that brings you the most happiness or agrees with your opinions and the way you want to live your life. But what if that thought process is a big lie, a deception. What if there really is only one belief system that is true and brings meaning, purpose to one's life? What if all of the belief systems are false or incompatible with reality and do bring on death and destruction? What if that is true? A couple of other contentions that I think we have to deal with in the culture today. You cannot be a seeker of what is true and believe that Christianity is one of many options that lead to God. 
I want you to know that you don't have that option. You don't have the option to say it's one of an equal set of systems to believe in. Why can't Christianity be put on this buffet of belief systems and be respected? Well, the answer is because of what it believes and what it teaches. Christianity claims that it is the only way to purpose and meaning. It claims that it is exclusive to only those who trust in Jesus Christ and all others die in their sin and spend eternally separated, eternity separated from God in an existence of evil and regret. Christianity claims that it is the only source of love. And only through the belief in Jesus Christ can humans experience the kind of love that they were created for. Oh, oh yes, and it, this is one of the most contended ones. Is It believes that in the beginning, God created all things. It leaves no room or accommodation for any other belief system. It's a fully contained, comprehensive belief system that explains the reality about all things. You also have very few choices when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ. I hear it all the time. I've I've heard it on some of these uh, videos when they do man-on-the-street interviews, and it's so popular today for people to say, you know, I believe Jesus was a great man. He was the epitome of love. He, he He had peace in his heart, but no way was he God. He was a great prophet, as the Muslims believe. But, you know, he's not God. Well, I'm sorry, truth seeker, you don't get that option. That option's not available to you. Uh, Let me explain why. Let's say I came in today, and what if I announced that I'm not really just the pastor of this church? I really am the Son of God, sent from heaven to forgive your sins. What would you think of me? I am the Son of God. I can put on my God voice. You see, you can't say, well, you know, I thought I knew him. I thought he was a pretty good man, adequate teacher. But I don't really agree with the fact that he's God. I'm just not going to agree with that, but I'm going to agree with the fact that I think he's a good man. You see, with Jesus, you get three options. You have to decide if he was an outright liar or worse, a lunatic. Those are two. Your only other option is to believe that what Jesus said about himself is true. Jesus said that he was the son of God. Jesus said, I am the only way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one is coming into an eternal relationship with God the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said about himself. So you can't say, well, Jesus, you're a good man, but you're just not the son of God. Jesus doesn't give you that options by the fact that he claims to be the son of God. So are you interested in knowing truth or people's opinions? 
Now, your, your opinion may be here today that you don't want to believe that stuff. And my question would just simply be, well, what if it's true? How much are you willing to stake on whether or not it's true? I would also say that people are mischaracterizing what we believe as Christians. God showed his great mercy for his people by fighting on their behalf in the Old Testament is one example. That's an expression of mercy, not about a God who's randomly killing people. What if Christianity, with all of its claims, is the only system that fully explains reality and is most consistent with the evidence around us? The evidence, I would contend, strongly points to the truthfulness of Christianity. You cannot look at the complexities and intricacies of nature and believe in a random process. That avoids the overwhelming evidence. The evidence shows us that this planet that we live on is fine-tuned for life in such a precise way. There's no way it could randomly have occurred. The evidence shows us that in the heart of each person, there is a moral awareness of right and wrong. So, uh, you know, how can we simply be a collection of randomly organized molecules and chemicals and where we all have a strange sense of knowing what is right and wrong? If you want to know what's true, and I hope you're on a search in your life for truth, simply be honest. Let evidence guide you. No more opinions, please. One day Jesus was teaching his disciples and he was basically explaining how to find this purpose in their life. He was talking to them about all kinds of things and he challenged the way they think and live and he was explaining life in his kingdom which had a strange connection in their hearts and minds to that which they knew to be true and real around them. He was telling them how to make their lives consistent with the reality of his kingdom and where truth really is found. And in the midst of his teaching, he comes to this passage, and you find it in Matthew 6. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn to Matthew 6, 25. It's right in the middle of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking to his followers at the time. But this is timely for us in the culture in which we live today. Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. He says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Well, how's that going for us? Right? Do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, not nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Well, just look at the birds of the air, they, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Wow. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil or spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, there he is again, in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, that's the people who seek after worldly things, who live by a world's way. For the Gentiles eagerly, eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Jesus is, is, is kind of drawing the line He's, he's drawing this stark contrast between how the world finds, how the world operates, how the world thinks it's finding purpose, and, and the real source of purpose. He says the world is always uptight. They're always worried about themselves. They're always worried about their future. They're always worried about their career. And what am I going to do? How am I going to provide? What if I lose my job? He talks about how these birds and lilies are cared for by God with all, without all their own efforts. He's, he's teaching them here that when their life's purpose is their own personal peace, I'm, I'm just trying to find some happiness, their own personal peace and their own prosperity. If that is their life's goal, they will always worry about the future. Not having enough or running out of what they do have. And then in one simple statement, he gives them the words of life. He says this, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let me offer three little points here. First, we must seek. You must seek. I would contend that most people in the culture aren't seeking. I guess I would even contend that most Christians today aren't seeking. There's a lot of floating going on. There's just a lot of letting the winds of the time blow us around and we get scared about that and scared about this and scared about what's going on over in the Middle East and scared about oil prices and what does the future hold. And So this wind blows us here and this wind blows us there and we're being pushed around. Are you seeking? The second is you must accept. We're going to have this extended conversation over the next seven weeks about truth. And I, I, just, I just kind of throw this down as kind of the, <laughs> the phrase to contend with, if you will. That history and all that we know about the world is best explained by Scripture. You want to know why people are the way they are? You're going to find the best explanation in the Bible. You want to know where we all came from? The Bible will give you a story most consistent with the evidence. You see, the kingdom of God, its ways are an explanation of reality. And, and so if you want to know the truth, there is this seeking and then this accepting of the explanation of Scripture about the reality of life. It's only here that I'm going to find purpose as to why I was put on this planet. And thirdly, he makes the promise that you will receive all these things, all these important things, all that life 
is about, you will receive. He makes you this promise to add meaning, purpose. No more floating, no more wandering, no more discussions about people's opinions. No more being a prisoner to the success, money, fame orientation of the world. No more defending a belief opinion because now you stand on what is true. You know, sometimes truth is, becomes hitting home. And it hits home sometimes in life's worst moments. My good friend Tim Curtis, who is pastor over here at the Church of Christ in Georgetown, as we've prepared for this and we've prayed together, and he's become a good friend. He's about my age. His wife is dying of brain cancer. Has been for several years now. And she keeps a, a journal. And about a year ago, she wrote this. The, last, the past couple of weeks have seen me transition back home, for which I'm very thankful. One of the frustrating things about this time is that since I'm no longer receiving treatment, there doesn't seem to be anything for me to do. Since the cancer is untreatable and my lungs aren't, getting, aren't going to get better, basically I'm waiting for the next step, which frankly is to die. We all are, you know. But mine is probably going to come a little sooner. <laughs> so the challenge for me has been, what do I do in the meantime? There isn't a lot I can do physically. I'm pretty much confined to bed, so I've been asking the question, what is my purpose during this time of waiting? I've decided that it must be to do what God has always asked me to do, which is to bring glory to Him, no matter what the situation in which I find myself. I, I do that by trying to reflect Jesus to others as best I can. I don't always remember that as my purpose, but I try to look at each person who enters my room or my life as someone God has placed there. Praise God for his mercy and grace through Jesus. As I get closer to the end of this chapter of my story, the presence of Jesus becomes so much more meaningful to me. I can't wait to see his face and hear him say, Welcome home. You see, she gets it, doesn't she? In Romans 10, it says this, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not a complex thing. Saying in your heart, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe that he rose from the dead to grant me New life. I'm going to confess that. I'm going, to, I'm going to pronounce that that's my belief. And in the same chapter, it goes on to say, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. <laughs> Any of you believers here today wish you could go back and unbelieve? <laughs> no. You're not going to be disappointed for there is no distinction between Jew or Greek 
For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. You and I have been created for purpose. And we find that purpose by calling out to God. Calling for his aid. Calling for his intervention. God. I can say with personal experience what that last scripture says. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Amen. Father in heaven, we are so 